This is an SM Media production. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of The Sit Down here on SM Media. I'm Scott McPike, delighted to be here again. This week I'm joined by the former Hearts, Rangers and Dundee United defender, one of the best defenders to play in Scottish football in the last 20 years, certainly, Andy Webster. Andy, it's an absolute privilege to have you on the show, mate. Thanks very much for doing it. No, thanks very much for inviting me along, Scott. It's a pleasure for me too. Not a problem at all. How are you? You all right? Yeah, all good, thank you. Just looking forward to the next period of time. Mm-hmm. What about coronavirus? How's it kind of affected you? Like... I think just in terms of we'll say coaching at St Mern, the games programme um, has fallen by the wayside for the next period of time as well. So just ultimately keeping the full-time boys motivated and keeping their fitness levels up for when we do resume. So just yeah, making sure that they're at a level. So when we do hit the ground, um, again, we can hit the ground running. Yeah, it was a difficult time for St Mirren as well, wasn't it? The past few weeks, like, wasn't it? There were some issues, but how's that kind of changed? Has everything kind of picked up now? Yeah, I think the clubs changed their policies around. They've obviously brought people in um, to help out. Um, the working environment's totally changed as well. I'm not saying it wasn't ideal before, but I think they've definitely battened down the hatches with all that type of stuff as well, just to to double up and make sure that everyone's okay. Because I think, as the chief execs alluded to as well, you know, safety's paramount for everybody during this period. Yeah. So just making sure that all employees of the football club are as safe as they possibly can be. Hopefully we can still get football on a Saturday. How delighted are you just to have football back? Yeah, I think when you go through a period you you can't watch football and people obviously talked about when it did come back about no crowd noise and I think you're just delighted you can actually sit and watch football for everybody that loves football. It doesn't the crowd atmosphere obviously adds a little bit to it, but you just yeah, you do miss it. It's a, it's your kind of daily or weekly fix. Definitely. We'll start off with talking about your, your early years, like growing up. Like where did you kind of grow up and what was your kind of family life like? So I'm from Arbroath originally. Um, so I lived lived there all, all my life up until I moved to Hearts when I was 18. So yeah, born and bred in Arbroath. Um, got an older brother who also played football. My dad took the local team as well. So that's probably how it all started for me. He, uh, my dad took the team. My older brother, who's 18 months old, and me played, and I kind of tagged along. So probably what you look at nowadays in terms of bio-banding and people playing up in age group and down in age group because of maturation and stuff, I probably had that at a younger age. Yeah. When I was younger, but I was I was young playing against people who were physically bigger, stronger, quicker than me. So I probably had that. Um, when I was when I was a young footballer, without probably even realising it, just you know, it's like being a parent or being there myself here, dragged here and everywhere trying to get people to A, B and C. So I think from that point of view, it was just it was an easier option for me to just to kind of tag along with my big brother. Yeah, what was it kind of what were you kind of like at school? Like well behaved? Yeah, I really enjoyed school. Um, stayed on till sixth year. Made sure I had my education behind me. Got got my hires. Allowed, allowed me to go to university if I wanted to and that was the big thing for my parents was to make sure that I had an education behind me before leaving school and pursuing football so that opportunity came I think when I was in fifth year it was the first year of some of the boys at our time and I was desperate for it but I kind of had to just bide my time a little bit make sure I got what I needed to like academically and then join the year after so it was like the sort of second year into what they called the Skill Seekers programme back then. Yeah. And as well as that, like obviously football fan growing up, but who, who what team did you grow up supporting? Who were your kind of heroes? I loved our growth, still do. Um, <laughs> obviously being my local team, say this to quite a lot of people, me and my friend used to have the Danny McGrain beard and T-shirt going through <laughs> that era, which, which was brilliant. She's a football fan and you just have these periods of time at your football club where... They were really successful. I think they ended up with Scottish Cup quarterfinals. They played Rangers at Gayfield. I think they played Celtic in the League Cup at Gayfield as well. They played Dundee United. So as much as Arbroath was maybe a lower league team, they had these massive occasions. And a lot of um, a lot of people that I admired or sort of were my idols, maybe a little bit of that when I joined Arbroath, you get to play with these people as well. And probably on a smaller scale from 
massive football clubs, but similar similar ideas where you you walk in and you just sit and all of these people would just great. Brilliant. And so obviously, when you when you can, we always a centre half. We always play at that <laughs> position. No, I started off my football career as a striker, scored loads of goals, loads of goals, and then slowly but surely worked my way back the pitch. And it was one evening, we were playing in the Youth Cup by Roth up at Aberdeen, um, and I was playing in the middle of the pitch. So the centre-half for us, I think he went up, went up for a header, came down, dislocated his shoulder, had to come off the pitch. The youth coach at the time, Ray McWalter, shouts, Webby, go back to centre half. And I'm like, me? I was like, no chance. Was, for want of a better phrase, I probably used different terminology back then. So I, ended up, I ended up going and playing centre back. And I was like, so that was probably maybe when I was like 16. So that's when I initially started being a centre back. He thought I could read the game re- relatively well and probably had not a massive physicality, but I would have been relatively tall at that age as well. So I think that. Yes, that one defining moment at Pataudry uh, shaped my football career. And was always was there any other clubs looking at you? Was it just a, was it always a kind of plan to go to your broth? Yeah, I think I, t- I trained with Dundee when I was twelve. Um, used to travel up to Dundee once a week for training. Trained with Brecon for a little period of time, and then ultimately came about my boys' club manager at the time, Artie Gray, went into to Gayfield and said, "We've got a couple of players I think you should potentially look at." So like, right, great, bring them in. So me and my other teammate trained with the youth team at Arbroath for about three months and then ended up signing on a schoolboy forum just before I was 16, which was great. Um, and we had a really successful youth team at Arbroath. It was kind of in the initial stages of development and implementing yeah. it and whatever else. But we, we were quite a young team. So even when we played teams like Aberdeen in the Youth Cup, we were probably like a year younger than most of them. So, but we had... We had a good team, um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, like obviously, like you do pretty well when you are a youth player, but you make your debut against Stirling in the first team, age seventeen. Like, what was how good an experience was that, and what were the kind of senior pros like with you? Brilliant, because I think that was a cup competition. I remember it playing at Stirling Albion that we uh, ended up going to extra time. <laughs> I'm like, I've run out of steam after about 60, 70 minutes, <laughs> so trying to get through extra time as well. But no, brilliant. And I, mean, I think it went to penalties that evening as well. But I, as I said to you, I played with players who I would have looked to and looked up to. Because obviously being an Arbroath fan, I suppose it's like any fan, if you're a fan of any football club, if you get that opportunity to be sort of behind the scenes and in that environment, yeah. you get to see people firsthand as well. A great, I cannot speak highly enough of my time at Arbroath. Like, absolutely loved it. The camaraderie amongst the group. The players, how they accepted me, how they helped me, my opportunity and all that type of stuff. And just like probably, I don't know, it sounds maybe a little bit strange, but probably one of the most enjoyable periods of my football career because I played in a youth team with basically all my pals. Yeah. And one or two people from out with as well. And then I got the opportunity to play with people that, you know, I would have looked up to as well. So that was great. And do you think that helped you as well coming through it? I can, not a, a big club. With that kind of experience, a little bit those senior pros helping you through like in the dressing room as well, just your character building, things like that? Yeah, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I think that, you know, I would have played in an Arbor's team with people like Craig Hinchcliffe and Goal. I think Jordy Rowe played right back. I played right centre back. Jim Thompson played um, left centre back as well. So even just being in amongst the three of them, they just, yeah. they just walk you through everything. It's just push you this way, pull you that way, tell you to do this, tell you to do that, makes your job so much easier. Um, so, no, I, I, as I say, I think being exposed to first-team football at a young age, people tell you nowadays as well, because loads of research on it, that it's important for young human beings to be exposed to these environments. Whereas for me, it would have just, that, would, that was how it was. People probably didn't give it too much thought, just go, right, let's get him in and see how he can cope. Yeah, and Dave Balke was a manager, what was he like? Yeah, I, he was brilliant for me. He also gave me my debut, which, you know, it's hard when you look now from the other side of it for managers to trust young players to put them into that environment as well. So you obviously seen something in me and I thought, as I said, I thoroughly enjoyed my time under him. The team was great. There was a kind of fine balance between sort of local boys um, 
and then a, a mixture of like Glasgow-based boys as well, and the camaraderie between between both was brilliant. And just even just sitting listening to these people talking, whether it's on the team bus or all that, you just I would just <laughs> it would make me laugh on a regular basis. But you know, being a young person involved in that environment, you just you never put your head too far above the parapet, <laughs> just in case. So like, obviously, like how like that kind of level, what was it like playing against them? Who, who was kind of the tough players you came up against at that level? Well, my debut was against Ali Graham. And Ali Graham, I don't know if people remember, but he was tall and physically imposing as well. So it was probably a little versus large. But yeah, just I think when you find in the lower leagues as well, a lot of experienced football players, you know, even for me, I played with people like, as I mentioned before, but even people like Tommy Bryce, Colin McGlashan, Barry Sellers, Kevin Tindall, all these boys, John Crawford, John McCauley, they all had experience. They just, they were, they were experienced, wise footballers. So to play, obviously, with them and play against other other players as well, I think we'd obviously played against, I think I made my league debut against Ross County up at Dinglaw as well. And I remember, like, George Shaw was playing for them at the time as well. So people with the real quality and pedigree behind them, which was great for me. Yeah, and like obviously you got a good run in the team and you kinda stick to it. And uh, John Brownlee comes in as well. Was he another good was he another good manager for you? Yeah, I think the one thing I'll definitely say about John Brownlee gave me that consistent run in the team. I think I played from like the January to the March before I moved, whereas before under Dave Bakey it was a case of and I get this, maybe play two, three games out for a little period of time, back in, back out, back in, back whereas under John Brownlee, I got that consistent run of games, um, which then obviously led on to other things as well. Yeah, do you remember your first goal for Arbroath? I thought I scored a header at Gayfield at Pleasureland, I remember that, um, against Queen's Park, I want to say, I think we won 2-0, yeah. and my memory generally is pretty poor, but I think you know if you, you know when you know you've scored, if you've scored for your, your boyhood team and whatever else, you just, these things don't leave you. you can, How was you can that feeling? Oh, brilliant. I think because all my mates as well, because I'm from Arbroath, all my mates are Arbroath fans. We used to go and watch. We walked around the pitch at half time. We'd go and stand at one end to the other. My mates would shout foul and abusive language at the opposition goalie. <laughs> they would, uh, so, yeah. There was instances where um, my mates would be stood behind the opposition goalie and Arbroath would have a free kick and the goalie would be lining up the wall. And my mates, because you can hear everything, my mates yeah. would be shouting, left! Left, <laughs> left to the wall, and the wall would be moving left. Then the goal would be like, right, right. So just you know things like that that you don't hear at a big football stadium because it kind of gets lost in the atmosphere. Yeah. But you definitely, you, you definitely hear everything at Gayfield, which yes, as I say, my uh, some of my friends out with the football club as well enjoyed that side of it. Brilliant. You obviously done really well at Broth and then D United came looking for you. Like it was. How did that come about and do you kind of regret turning that down or? I think during the period, obviously John Brownlee was the manager. Alex Smith was the Dundee United manager who had John Blackley as assistant. Right. John Blackley and uh, John Brownlee were quite friendly. Um, and obviously, as a young footballer, if you're 17 years of age and you're, you're playing on a regular basis, there's always going to be interest. So I went and spoke to Dundee United, spoke to Alex Smith. Um, Spoke to him for a period. He obviously outlined his plans for the future during that period as well. Obviously, Hearts came in. And also, I got the opportunity to go and train with Charlton, which was an English Premiership club at the time. Yeah. And I got to go and train with Hearts at the time as well, which was great from the club's perspective, or my perspective from the club to allow me to go and do this. So, John Brownlee was great with that. He said, you can go and train with one Scottish Premiership club and one English Premiership club. And it happened to one of our, my other teammates as well. So he got that opportunity. I think he went to Celtic and Liverpool, which is an unbelievable experience. Yeah. So I've had that had that experience of training. I'd obviously had that experience of being at Hearts as well. So I had a better feel for that. When I spoke to Dundee United, Alex Smith basically said, you know, we'll put you in the reserves for a period of time. We'll see how you get on. You can stay on loan at Arbroath for the rest of the season because Arbroath were doing well at the time. Yeah. Join us in the summer and we'll kind of just see how things go, which was absolutely fine. Um. And then during that period as well, I spoke to Craig Levine and he basically said, my one abiding memory of the conversation was, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And I thought, yep, that'll do for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I, probably not in a big-headed way, but I thought, I don't want to spend any p- period of time in the reserves 
I thought if I can get an opportunity first team, then great. And if it doesn't work out, then that's my responsibility. I didn't want to kind of be take two steps forward playing first team football bar both and then going back the way a little bit. Probably when I think about it now, probably give it a bit more thought about the time. I just I thought that's not for me. Um and that's that's basically how this, that came about. Yeah, and obviously when now how do you kind of look? You just look back in your time with Arbroath as as a privilege to play for the the team you enjoy, you love growing up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And even at the latter stages of my football career, there could have potentially been one or two opportunities to go back. But I think sometimes when you go back, and obviously I've done that through my career as well, I just thought it would mean probably too much to me. And obviously I haven't had the career that I've had as well, and maybe been at a level that I, I wasn't accepting the fact that I was where I would have liked to have been. I don't know if I would have done myself justice and I don't know if if I would have done anybody else any favours by going back to the football club. And a, from an emotional point of view, yes, but from a sort of physical and thought process, I was like, it's maybe not going to be the best idea for me to do that. So I was like, as much as I'd love to, um, yeah, not to be. So no, as I say, I thoroughly enjoyed my, my time at Abroth. It was one I always look back with with a, a smile on my face. Brilliant. Well, obviously, you move on to Hearts, and you touched on Craig Levine there. Like, how? What was your kind of first impression of him? Like when you when you met him to go there? Yeah, just I think probably one thing when I was moving from Abroth, he came and watched me play against. I think it was Queen of the South, and I think it was maybe the first time he came and watched me. And the game got abandoned after thirty-seven minutes because you can imagine Gayfield. Yeah, when I saw that. January, February, March time. <laughs> it's maybe not the most pleasant in June and July either. So during that period of time, the game ended up getting abandoned. But I think off the back of what he'd seen during that short period of time, he's like, yes, definitely. And I think one of the good things good things for me was this, the similar career paths that we'd both taken. Yeah. He'd obviously gone from Cowdenbeath to Hearts. And I'd gone from Marlborough to Hearts as well. So I think he'd probably seen similar traits and something in there where you thought yes this looks quite familiar and I know how that journey feels so I know how I can uh, you can help me on that pathway but no he was great for me um, in terms of learning how to be a, a centre half the responsibility that comes with it and also the demands of, um, of being a professional footballer I've always uh, going from part-time football to full-time football is a big golf. Definitely. And it wasn't, obviously I joined Hearts in the March, played a few handful of games with the first team, went away over the summer. In fact, I think I went away with a few of the boys at the end of the season because you know what it's like at football clubs. You go, yeah, let's all go on a, a, a holiday at the end of the season. So I was like, right, and it started off like 20 boys all going, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. And I was like, right, I'll go because it'll give me a better opportunity to get to know the boys. So I think there was only maybe like five, six, seven of us went and a couple of people, like players, pals went as well. So maybe like 10 or 12 of us we ended up in Ibiza like for four or five days. But one thing I'm not is a big drinker <laughs> and trying to keep up with these boys was horrendous. Um, you know, you know, like rules and regulations when you're on holiday, you're not allowed to go to your bed before two o'clock in the morning. You need to be up by 11 o'clock down at the pool. And if you're not, you're doing all sorts. So having had that experience and then going away over the summer and coming back for pre-season. And I'd say this to everybody that I meet to talk about it. It was the worst two weeks of my life. It was <laughs> torture. And I mean, when I mean torture, I mean like horrendous, like just the golf, as I say. And I'd done, a, I'd done maybe two weeks leading up to pre-season. I'd been away out running, but nowhere near the levels required for being a professional. So I was badly exposed during those two weeks. Yeah, and what was it kind of like just before like, we move on to that? Like, what was it like making your debut at Parkhead against Celtic? Obviously, you come on for Ken, Kevin McKenna. And what was that? Just what was that experience and atmosphere like for you? Yeah, unbelievable. I think the biggest thing with that is obviously I think Celtic were awarded the league title that night, although being presented with a trophy. So the atmosphere was unbelievable. But I think probably what I touched on with Dave Baker, I brought as well that trust from a manager just to put you in um, and going on. I think end up playing against Henrik Larson and my one abiding memory of that, which is Lubomir Maravchik was out taking a corner and he lined it up with his left foot and then he just kind of shuffled around and whipped it in with his right. I thought, yes, that guy's got ability. Didn't have to worry which foot he was going to take the corner with. But yeah, just yeah, just enjoyed. I think the, the probably without knowing it at the time, the biggest 
aspect of that was the, the trust that the manager put in yeah. you to go, go, on you go, you're on the pitch. And true to his word, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And I think off the back of that season, I ended up playing in then Edinburgh Derby, Easter Road as well, which, you know, so, you know, the manager was, was true to what he said. And obviously, for a player perspective, you have, you have to perform. So if I wasn't performing, then I wouldn't have been involved. Obviously, it was a great dressing room, but who were the kind of characters in that dressing room that just, you walked in and they were just brilliant with you to start with? When I initially walked in at Hearts, you had people like Gilles Rousset, Gordon Petrich, Gordon Jury, Stefan Adam, obviously Elvis, um, big Kevin McKenna joined at the same time as me. Me and him got on unbelievably well. Um, so I think who else was there at the time? People like Colin Cameron, big yeah. Kev James, Fulte, you know, like all these guys, you just go, probably went from one dressing room at our both, but it was always on the go. To go and into Hearts and another dressing room that was always on the go. See people like Big Kev James and Fulton stuff, never a dull moment when they tour around. People like Stephen Polyak as well, you know, just general carry on in a changing room. You know, you go put your foot in your sock and you you pull it halfway up your leg because somebody's cut your socks and all that kind of carry on. Um, which I just, as much, I, I loved that, but I didn't try and get too much involved in it because yeah. I will say I'd be younger human being. I was like, don't put your head too far above that parapet. Mm-hmm. You touched on your pre-season and obviously your first full season was the 0-1-0-2 season and you solidify a place in the team. Like, How confident did you feel just that you were getting better each time you played? Yeah, I think you probably, as a young footballer, you don't think too much about these things. You just do what you do and you kind of get on with it. I think, as I said, I was well-schooled with a manager um, and his previous experiences of playing centre-half and playing alongside Elvis as well was a huge benefit to me. Yeah. Just that. How good is he? How good is he to play alongside? Yeah, unbelievable. I think that probably maybe one of two people where I'd look at and go like un like just top top players. Now Elvis will openly admit, and I say this to everybody because I like to get it in. Elvis couldn't do ten keepy ups with his left foot, and he would openly admit that. You know, he he wasn't yeah. the most technically gifted footballer, but one thing he had was an unbelievable desire and a willingness to succeed which was great for me because between him and Craig Levine, sort of two figureheads at the football club, that real burning desire just rubbed off on me. And, you know, you just end up becoming a product of your environment, which is great because it just made me day in, day out, realise what it meant to be a footballer and the sacrifices you have to make and the commitment you have to have. So it just became second nature for me. So it was it was hard, but on the other side of that, it was also easy because you were in an environment where you just... It was constant um, relentless. Yeah. And obviously you score your first goal against Indy, but like and you finished fifth that season. Was that just a that was that just a great experience, that first full season playing every week? I think the biggest challenge at that time was the the turnaround at the football club. You know, so Craig Alvina came in, he had, as I said to you, people like Stefan Adam, Fulte, boys who'd been at the football club who'd achieved unbelievable success winning the cup. Yeah. And the club had they looked like they wanted to try and build off the back of that. Um, and try and compete with the old firm. And it didn't really probably materialise, so I think Craig Levine's job to come in was to change the philosophy of the football club, bring in younger players, which obviously meant people like myself, um, people like Stephen Boyack, Austin McCann, bringing younger players through like Stephen Simmons and stuff. Yeah. Kevin McKenna came in. You know, people who probably didn't have a real pedigree behind them, but had something to offer, and I think that yeah. was one key attribute that Craig Levine had. He was able to recruit players that maybe not everybody had heard of and managed to gel them in a format where, as you say, fifth that season would have been seen as relatively successful for the, the turnaround of players. Yeah, what was it like the training ground as well, Craig Levine? Yeah, hard. Every day, every day was hard. We used to be, Tam Ritchie, who was this, this sort of fitness coach, sports scientist at the time, I used to say, and we used to obviously meet, we used to train round and about, whether it was down at Musselburgh or, or we would train at Herrick Walk, which obviously looked totally different back then as well. Right. But just Monday and Tuesday was horrible, like tough, physically demanding, and obviously off the back of that, mentally challenging. I used to sit at lunch on a Monday and a Tuesday and just say to Tam Ritchie, I'd be like, I dread Monday and Tuesday more than what I do a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> it was it was, it was, was hard, but, but, which was great. Um and just you just have to adapt to your environment. Yeah. So I think that relentlessness was just constant, you know, that willingness to succeed. I think because you get people at football clubs like Craig Levine, who basically had spent 
most of his football and life at the club. You just know what it means to people. Yeah. And it, it's easy. I wouldn't say it's, it's easy because you have a passion for it and the motivation's there. You don't have to worry too much. And then you have people like Elvis as well who are on the same page as the manager. And it's just it's everybody's singing from the same page, which makes everything easier. And the professionals there as well, people like Thomas Fogel, Robert Tomashek, yeah. just every single day, just constant, constant at pros where you go, yep, that's what it looks like. And obviously the season after 0203, you don't play till October. Did you pick up an injury or was there something else going on? Probably just not good enough. Um, can't distinctly remember why, but then people, it would have been competition for places and Big Kevin Elvis probably were doing relatively yeah. well. During that period, sometimes we'd occasionally change that back three or a back four, and that's just part and parcel of it. You just have to bide your time and work hard. So probably not good enough, and other people doing better than what I would have been doing. So yeah, that's that's part for the course. Yeah, and you come back into the team, and you played Bordeaux. Do you remember the result? Yeah, probably. I think if it's the, if it's the game you're talking about, I do remember it distinctly at, at Motherwell, and we didn't do particularly well. That's why that's why I never like going to Motherwell. <laughs> And like how like was that was there a bad atmosphere after that like losing six one was it just a bad atmosphere in the dressing room that day? Um, yes, I think it depends on how. I remember one. I think distinctly remember one of the goals for me and Big Kev. I think me and Big Kev played ten and a half that night, and uh, it was one of those moments. You know the chuckle brothers to me to you <laughs> nobody and I think Fadi might have ran through and scored and you go. Do you know when things like that happen, which don't generally tend to happen on the football pitch, you're just like, nah, this isn't going our way. And I think, if if I remember rightly, it might have been the night that Craig Levine punched the tactics board and he ended up breaking his knuckle. <laughs> unless, unless it was another game at Motherwell that happened, but that did happen in the Motherwell changing room. It probably was off the back of that 6-1. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't good on the pitch and it certainly wasn't good off the pitch. And what was, is there any kind of stories like that with Craig Levine, like, lose, like losing the plot in the dressing room after a bad result? Like, I think, yes. We, <laughs> um, I think initially as well, and when we played, um, we played Livingston on the opening day of the season, and Livingston had just been promoted. And Livingston obviously viewed Hearts as a derby, whereas in the cold light of day, Hearts didn't in any way, shape or form view it as a derby. So yeah. you turn up at Almond Vale, the place is full, Team's just been promoted. They're on a crest of a wave. Things aren't going particularly well. And I think one or two of the players in the change room were in the process of leaving the football club and moving on. And I think Craig Levine didn't feel their motivation or their levels of application were at the right level. So that was obviously, that was short and sharp and to the point. And I was like, oh, sometimes you just, as before you just try and look in a different direction. I think probably one other instance that I distinctly remember is when we played Falkirk in the Scottish Cup and I think we were 3-0 down after 18 minutes Colin Samuel had scored three early I think that made his career he, he, he should have thanked a few of us after that um, I think I was on the bench that day I think we were 3-0 down after 18 minutes Craig Levine took Boyack off and put me on and I think within about an hour minute or two we were down 4-0 and that was the end of that so at half time Craig Levine obviously wasn't best placed to say the least it, I think it was I think who was, it was Big Kev McKenna was sat Stampy and me, I think. And the manager obviously wasn't impressed with Kev's performance. So he'd obviously had a few words to say at him. And to be fair, I would, good on Stampy. He he piped up a little bit and, and voiced his concern for his teammate. I was like, and it's, me and Kev got an unbelievably well, like yeah. best mates. I was like, I'm not saying anything. I'll just, I'll just look a different direction. Kev, you're on your own. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, of course, but then that's just the passion coming right. out. I think when you realise that, and times have changed, and also I worked under him again later on in my football career as well, and yeah. he changed the manager as well. I think sometimes it's difficult at the start to kind of control your emotions, um, which is which is part. And sometimes you have to let your emotions out as well. People have to understand. I think that was one of the things he definitely did say at halftime at Falkirk. He's like, do you know what it means to play for this football club? Which, if you didn't, before you definitely did after. How good is that though when he says that to you? Like, how good does that make you feel when he says that and you're does it, like he's got that trust in you? Yeah, of course, because it, ultimately you have to you have to have an understanding when you go in any football club and you play, regardless of what level, you have to understand what it means to everybody else. So yeah. the kit man 
the people who serve your lunch, the, the work in the club shop, you know, like all you have to, the fans ultimately as well. But you just you have to you have to immerse yourself in that type of thing when you go into a football club, just to know that yes, I might not have supported this club as a boy, but you have to you have to find that bit where you go, no, it does mean something to me because I know it means something to everybody else. Yeah, and obviously, like you're, when you do really well that that time, Scotland, the international team come calling, Betty votes uh, caps you against Austria. What was that feeling like when they called you to tell you that you'd been? called up to the squad yeah unbelievable I think that probably for me as well I'd gone from part-time football within more or less two years going to play international football as well so I think people from the outside look at that and go wow that's some rise but for me you just you just did what you did and you yeah. go on with how you, you were doing stuff so I think I'd played a couple of under 21s games and I never represented Scotland at all up until under 21 so I played twice for the 21s I think I played one night, we played at Broadwood against Lithuania maybe, and then I travelled to go with the first team squad as well. So, yeah, and just yeah, getting that opportunity to play for your country is an unbelievable feeling. Um, and I think I played against Thomas Fogel that night. He was playing for Austria. Um, so, no, I just, I think that, yeah, these things is what you dream of. And I was really fortunate, being a young centre-half, to be able to get that opportunity. And get probably the same as well, really fortunate because of circumstances, Betty Votes had been brought in. Yeah. To, to basically go in a different direction, which meant bringing in young, untested players at a level and probably having to suck up the rubbish that goes between then and allowing them to find their feet to where they are or yeah. where they were for a period of time as well. So he's a yeah, testament to him that he was he was able to bring in young players and, and give them their opportunity. I know people will say that you give loads of people maybe opportunities that they maybe shouldn't have, but I think the job at the time was a really difficult one. Yeah, definitely. Another memory you'll have of playing for Scotland that season was against Germany at Hamden. Like, just that was was that one of your hardest games up until that point, playing against a team like that? Yeah, I think it was Freddie Bobic played. I think that was my first sort of proper qualifying match as well. So it's probably about the one or two things that I've actually got framed. My first Scotland shirt with a Germany shirt in my cap. Um, yeah, I think the great thing about these is when you get to Hamden, it's the, it's the build-up before you drive in. The fans are stood there. You just you just kind of it gives you that goosebumps feeling. Yeah. Where you go, yes, this is this is football. This is the lucky bit that you get. Where you go, yes, this is why you've done what you've done. This is why you've sacrificed during the pre seasons under Craig Levine to get through <laughs> and all that type of stuff. To go, yes, and even going out for the warm up. You know, you just on the pitch, the atmosphere's building and just. Yeah, a full house at Hamden's unbelievable. Yeah. To represent your country is an unbelievable experience. Yeah, and obviously you do really well in the league that season. You finished third and qualify for Europe in your first European game against. Do you remember the team you played against? Um, I don't even know if, if I'm not sure if that was a game at Murrayfield or not. Maybe that was the season after when we couldn't use Tyne Castle. I think what was my first European game? You need to tell me. Siljesnica. You should remember. Okay. You should okay. remember you scored. Yeah, well, there you go then. I think <laughs> I do remember it. Um, yeah, and these are the joys of playing. You know, when you work hard during the season to get an opportunity to go and play European football and experience something different, uh, which regardless of what level you're playing at, it, it, it helps with your international football as well. You just, because yeah. Scottish game is played in a certain manner, whereas when you go and play opposition from a different country, they, they do things slightly differently, shall we say. So there's maybe not as much physicality and you have to be a bit cleverer with what you do. Definitely. Uh, one other game I want to touch on, just the, the game after that, was a game against Bordeaux. You won one nil at home, but you go away 2-0 and uh, lose 2-0 in the second leg. Like how, how good a team were they and what was that kind of like for you? Oh, yeah, I think this, these are the, when you get European football, you want to play against. You either want the so-called easy teams so you can get through, or you want the bigger clubs where you can go, yes, we've played. And I remember being in Bordeaux, sat in the hotel talking about the tactics. And these are the kind of things that Craig Levine was excellent at. He got his tactics spot on, the manner in which we played. We knew it was going to be tough. Obviously, we played against people like, I think Shamak played for Bordeaux that night, and Darsh, Jean-Claude Darsh, well played yeah, that night as well. Right, yeah. Touching on another story about Darsh <laughs> later on. But, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they had real pedigree behind them. Yeah. And at that time, under Craig Levine as well, I think on paper... Probably didn't look overly flamboyant, but see, as a team and as a unit, we functioned high, like really highly. 
we just worked unbelievably hard for each other. Um, and you know, in these in these games, you just wait for your one opportunity. And obviously, Big Mark managed to get a header on it. I nearly got my big toe on it to steal his goal. But apart from that, it was yeah, it was unbelievable. And I think the second leg at home, I think if I remember correctly, he scored at least one goal from outside the box where you just go, that's a wonder strike. Yeah. And there's not much. I think Craig was in goal that night. There's not much you could do about these things. And you go, right, okay, with you get the excitement bit going away from home winning, thinking, well, we might have a possibility here, but they turned on the style on the second leg and we found it really difficult. Yeah. Another, you know, obviously when Hearts always think about it's an Edinburgh, the main thing I think was the Edinburgh derby, just what's that game like to play in? Brilliant. Yeah, great. It just, I think, I think, especially, well, both, the, the atmosphere at Tynecastle, when either the, when the old firm are in town or you're playing in Edinburgh derbies up there with the best, and I've obviously played with or against people who have played for both sides of the old firm, who've played for Hibs and that, and they all say Tynecastle's the best place to play your football. Yeah, a lot of folks say that to me, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable, the atmosphere, because it's so close, you just, yeah. And I think even for being a Hearts player, when you go Easter Road as well, you kind of keep maybe thinking you're going into the Lions Den as well, but you relish these things. I think yeah. I always remember at Easter Road before the sort of the big stand was built opposite the main stand, it used to be kind of a bit of a shed. Yeah. And Tam, Tam Ritchie, the fitness coach, he would always set up the warm up right next to that part of the pitch. And you're like, <laughs> Tam, there's loads of grass here, can we use somewhere else? And it'd be brilliant because you'd over, you'd warm up, the fans would be in early. People would be getting slaughtered. We'd be laughing at them getting slaughtered. Then, then, the, then the fans would turn to you and get slaughtered, and then your teammates would be laughing at you getting slaughtered as well. So, okay, it was all uh, good fun, shall we say? But no, I think the atmosphere and the, and the, the intensity of it all was was uh, yeah. These are the, these are the games you want to play in as a player. Yeah, he's obviously he's finished third again. That season, a really good season. You played thirty two times. Like, was it just enjoyable? Like you just said, like playing alongside Stephen Presley, like just brilliant playing. Like, playing alongside him and just having a, a really good season again. Yeah, just gaining more sort of invaluable experience as well and having that consistency where you're, you're, you're pretty much playing week in, week out as well, which, you know, is, is what you want. So, no, I think ultimately during that period of time as well, to finish that is, is as good as it would have got for us and um, for the turnaround in the football club to be able to do that consistently for a little period of time um, was a testament to not just the team, but also the club and the management as well. Yeah, two players I want to touch on as well that you played alongside who obviously were really, really good for Hearts. Craig Gordon and Mark Lebris. Just for your kind of memories of them, how good were they and what's the kind of stories you've got of them? Uh, yeah, Craig, unbelievable. I always find it really difficult when people say, who's the best goal you've ever played with? And I'm like, I've played with some top, top, and I mean top goalies, and Craig yeah. always comes in that category. Like, Probably, I think Craig's, yeah, he's a little bit older than me, but maybe took a little bit more time to get into the first team. But when he got in, and he obviously being a Hearts fan as well, just probably grew up in the initial period together. Um, so not unbelievable, like an unbelievable goal. And, and even probably the, the latter stages for him as well, how the sort of tough period he's had to go through to come out the other side to be yeah. and done what he's done is un, like a testament to his character, which I know Craig on a personal level, because on a personal level as well, him and his ex-wife used to go to school with my wife. So that's right. how we that's how we all met. So I was out one night with big Kevin Edinburgh. Craig Craig was out with my wife Julie and his and Craig's wife at, later on. Um, and we we met in a pub, and that's and the rest they say is history. So if there's if there's anybody to blame, it's him. <laughs> Brilliant and Mark Davies as well. Yeah, and. Uh, See, probably big market, a great human being, yeah. lovely big guy, always had time for people, um, and and the fans loved him. Now the the rumor I heard, and I'm not sure it's strictly true, but it may well be the night he scored, or the sorry, the day he scored all the goals against um, Hibs at Tynecastle on the five one. I'm sure he might have not have been in his house the night before doing what he should have been doing in preparation for the game of football. So I need to I would need to double check my facts, but that might have been the case. But yeah, he was he was he was a fan's favourite. He was like a bit of a cult hero. Um, a great teammate. 
Um, and probably like again, somebody take being brought into the football club who maybe not everybody knew about, but just yeah. had a major impact. And it was a real focal point for us. And as I say, a great guy to have in the changing room as well. Really kind of team orientated and was was a yeah, it was great, great to have. Yeah, and this is kind of the time that Chris Robinson sells up. Like, what was it was was it a bad atmosphere at the time before? Obviously, we'll touch on Roman off later on, kind of in depth. But what was the kind of atmosphere like when Chris Robinson at the time? I think probably it was more from a a fan point of view. I don't think they really enjoyed how the direction that the club was heading. I think I can remember being in the change room at Tyne Castle and there was protests outside and stuff. I think from a football perspective, you don't really get overly involved in these types of things. Yeah. You just have to worry about what you do on the pitch. But I can remember, I can distinctly remember there being sort of protests and stuff. Um, I'm sure even people turned up at his house in Ember as well, which is not great. But it just shows you the level of passion um, that the fans have. And obviously that came out in the wrong way. But yeah, I think it was a, a probably a turbulent time for not just him, but the football club. Yeah, and was it always like when you first hear the kind of Roman off was coming in, were you kind of, was the players excited like the a foreign owner was coming in? Yeah, maybe not some necessarily like a foreign owner, but just a, a change of direction and hoping like sort of fresh impetus. As I said to you before, when I first joined, it was probably the tail end of when the club were trying to be competing with the old firm. So you're yeah. always kind of hopeful of when a new owner comes in that, they can take the club in the, the direction that all the players want to, to go in um, and just take it to the next level. That's ultimately what you look for in ownership or when new players come into the club or whatever it may be, you're looking for the club to take that next step. Yeah, definitely. And obviously at this time as well, Craig Levine takes the Leicester job. Were you, were you kind of surprised when he when he left? And But how much do you kind of owe him for your success? Yeah, I think, I think when I went, initially went to Hearts, everything was quite stable in terms of Obviously, the management, players, wasn't a big turnaround of players. So when Craig Levine left, it, it made me sort of sit and take note and go, football doesn't last forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was a big disappointment for me because he had a major impact on my football career. So I was probably quite disappointed. Even, you always kind of find that I took these things quite tough um, when managers either lost their job or they decided to leave the football club. Yeah, and John Robertson gets a job after that. Like, what was, did you kind of know John beforehand, and were you excited when he came in? Yeah, Rob was a legend. That's that's um, and a great guy as well. Do you know, and that there again, probably somewhat like Craig Levine, just an unbelievable passion for the football club. Um, yeah, so I think when he came in, it was in the circumstances as well. Probably trying times for him as well, just to kind of have that balance between the ownership and the players as well. So it was, he probably found that maybe like a great coach and a great manager, but maybe just wrong timing. But yeah. if, you're a, if you're a legend at a football club and you get the opportunity to go back, sometimes you can't turn it down because of the emotional attachment. Definitely. But you, you're doing really well at this point. And obviously you, one of the memories you'll have is the, the European night against Braga where you score. Like, just talk us through that game. Yeah, I think these are the challenges and even nowadays we sit and I've sat with my kids and we've also like watched games of football and we watched Rangers at Braga and I'm like, I've been there, I've done that. <laughs> so, uh, no, it was great. I think this is the bit where you challenge yourself and even going to places like Braga and doing exceptionally well and people like Big Mark DeVries having another major impact as well. So, no, you just, as I say, probably generally, you just want to test yourself against the best that you possibly can, whatever level that may be at. So to play against these teams and in European nights as well is always a special thing. Yeah, and you're obviously playing. You're playing every week for Hearts, and you're playing every you're playing every game for Scotland. Like, oh, even at that point, did you feel that you were you could go on to a bigger club? Were you already kind of thinking about what you were doing when your contract was up? I think I think the one of the defining factors for me was when Craig Levine left. I thought this doesn't last forever. So maybe yeah. at some point further down the line, whenever that may be. I might like to try something else. So probably without saying too much outwardly, I probably thought to myself, no, but maybe at some stage. So it was probably in the making for a couple of years before I actually left the football club. Um, so no, I think you want to challenge yourself at the biggest or the highest level you possibly can. And whatever that may be, I always had ambitions to play down south. So I think that was never it was never at the forefront of my mind because you obviously have to perform week in week out but just the bit at the back where you go oh, it would be nice 
at summer sometime to get that opportunity. Yeah, and the first kind of time, like, obviously, but the first kind of time that we know there's kind of issues was when John Robertson leaves after a fallout with Vladimir Romanov. Like, what was your kind of memories of that? Like, how did that, how did you feel in the dressing room when Robbo left? I think disappointment, as I said to you, like when any manager loses a job, you always feel that attachment to them and a sense of responsibility that you've ultimately let them down. So I think from that aspect, difficult. I think it was probably the initial stages of probably getting a better understanding of how the regime was going to work. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it, it wasn't a pleasant time. And you just finished fifth, so it wasn't the best kind of season, but obviously the next season you'll probably... You'll have up and down memories, but the start of that would be up there, probably the best time of your career. Would you, you go along with that? Yeah, I think obviously the, the, the sort of turnaround in the club, bringing in like George Burley, and even I, even one of my initial conversations with George Burley, I'd said to him, we may, I think we had maybe a, a meeting or a golf day at Dalmahoy, and one of the first times, I think it was the first time I met him. I just asked if I could chat to him for a little bit and just said at some point I'd like to leave the football club just to make you aware that this is my sort of thought process. Um, but no real going, wait, I want to leave tomorrow and this, that and the other, but I just want to make him aware. So if he wants to do something or something came up, he goes, right, well, he can go and do this and I'll bring in somebody else. So no, but that, I think that was one of the best starts for like something like 80 years in yeah. Hearts. The team that, that the manager and the club had put together and the backroom staff as well. I think George Burley will probably say that himself. The testament to the backroom staff being able to recruit these players was was of a different level. Something that the club hadn't experienced for a long period of time. Yeah. Standing next to Takis, who's won a European Championship. That's what I just thought. Yeah. Like, how, how big a coup was that to get the likes of him, Rudy Scatchel and Jankowski had played in the Champions League final? Like, how, yeah. big a, how big was that for the club? Yeah, I think that that just was a statement of intent from the football club that they brought in people of that calibre. Um, yeah, and even people like Roman Bender, people maybe yeah. forget, because Roman was a young human, like a young footballer making his way, but he had a massive impact. And I'll say people like Rudy, his goal scoring at the start of that season was ridiculous. I think he'd equaled Henrik Larsson's record for scoring in consecutive games and stuff. So he, he, uh, he, uh, he had a major impact. And yeah, just the, the, the whole the club went to a whole new level, not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well. Yeah. Were you getting into that season tight and you just could win the league? I don't know. I don't know if you probably you ha, I would always think unless you're unless you're like a Rangers or Celtic where you've had previous experience of winning leagues where you go, Well, we know we can win the league for yeah. it. Whereas for us we maybe thought, Well, we'll see where it takes us in that initial period um made us think that do you know what it might not be as far-reached as what people would anticipate off the, at the start of the season. I think that was testament to George Burley as well. He he made us feel invincible. He was always a member of his team talk, so he was always quite dismissive of the opposition. And ultimately, he always finished with, if we're right, we'll win. Yeah. And I was and he just go, we were right, and we generally won. So he was... Uh, and once you get that feel-good factor amongst the group and the momentum builds... You just it it just starts to kind of have a snowball effect um, until the until the until the wind comes out the sail. Yeah, obviously you split you's you's won eight games and draw two in your first ten and you're sitting top of the league like, and then obviously but George Burley leaves like what what happened? Good question. I think obviously you always hear murmurings in the background, but you're never quite sure. I think my my opinion would be that there's Probably a bit of a power ago. I think actually when you look at it, people analyse it, that Vladimir Romanov loved the adulation of the Hearts fans. I distinctly yeah. remember him standing in the director's box, standing up, waving yeah. a scarf, enjoying that side of it. I don't know, I could only guess. I think if other people are getting a bit more of the limelight than maybe what he's getting, I don't know if he found that too favourable. Because ultimately... If any team starts with an unbeaten record at the start of the season and they sack their manager, you'd be there's something else going on there. So there must have been something else. Yeah. Was there was a memory not like was there not something to do with it? He signed a, a boy came in trial. I forget the guy's name, but he, a boy came in trial and Bolly didn't didn't want him. And a day later, he signed him. Or so, I, 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 that sounds that sounds like a bit like Ibrahim Tal. 
Right. Um, okay. He he turned up on trial without any boots, and uh, yeah, and then they end up signing a three-year contract. So these types of scenarios might have had an impact because ultimately the recruitment that George Burley had done along with his backroom staff was outstanding. Yeah. So if he's in full control of that, and there's a bit of a power struggle then. Um, and ultimately, for George Burley leaving, his stock was unbelievably high at that time as well. I think yeah. he went on to Southampton. So he, he, the goalpost probably shifted for him in terms of the, the remit of his job. So yeah, and how's that, it like for you? How was it like for you in the dressing room when when you are? I, I think the famous saying was, "But George Burley won the manager of the month the first three three months." Is that right? And then you're losing him. How how big a how sore was that for you? Yeah, I, just, I think it's probably one of despair where you think you just don't believe it. You're, you're like, how can that be? I think there was no real explanation behind that. You wouldn't get the full full insight into what went on as well. And I think rumour has it as well, two or three weeks after they'd sort of sat George Burley, they'd asked him to come back. You're yeah. like, yeah, whether that's true or whether it's not, I don't know. You know how you hear these rumours in football, yeah. but... Um, you just go, yes, probably made a, a knee-jerk reaction going, right, sign this player, no, right, whatever it may be in the circumstances, right, you're out of your job. And then you go, doesn't doesn't benefit anybody in any way, shape or form. Yeah, but how much credit does George Bully deserve for that run at the start of the season? Oh, unbelievable. Like, as I say, his recruitment process, the manner in which he shaped the team up, how the team functioned, it was unbelievable. So, yeah, all credit to him. Yeah, and the man that gets the job is Graham Ricks. Now, do you think he was in an impossible position with who he's replaced and the, what the, how bad was the atmosphere at the club at the time and do you think he was in an impossible position? I think he was in, in an impossible position because of the scrutiny he was under yeah. for circumstances out with football. Um, the, the, the media attention around that at that time was yeah. intense really intense so I think it's always hard to come in and replace somebody who's done who's been really successful and that was the job that landed at Graham Ricks' feet I think on a, on a sort of personal level and a, and a coaching aspect I enjoyed working under him I felt like he t- treated me with respect um, and, and that was mutual as well but yeah as I say a lot of intense scrutiny um, surrounding him when he first joined the club Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's around about the time you kind of gave the kind of contract talks. Like, what was you left out the squad? Just tell us a bit about how that how that went down. We can ask when the contract talks started. Yeah, I mean, I think during that period of time, they were also negotiating with other players. You, you know, it's like in football, you get to hear other people what they've been offered, what they're offering you, how they see things going forward, what other options you have available, and I just. As I said to you, back in 2004 under Craig I'd started to make my mind up. Yeah. So I just said, no, I'm, I'm not I'm not overly fussed for signing a new deal as it stands. And then obviously that transpired and not being selected and trying to sort of some sort of pressure on me by we had there was in, we used to stay down Hoy quite a bit and I remember it before an Edinburgh Derby and Vladimir Romanov's son Roman would be there with Pedro and we'd be walking around a little practice putting area down the after an evening meal and say, Oh Andy, Edinburgh Derby tomorrow. Yeah, you want to play? I says, Yep, love to play. Okay, you sign new contract. I was like, No, I've told you I'm not signing a new contract. Oh, okay, you know play. Not as blase as that, but not maybe the last little bit, but definitely it was what was implied. So I was like, Yeah, and I, I just call it stubbornness. Call it whatever you like. I think once I've made my decision, and that's generally how it is, and I think the manner in which they conducted themselves, because ultimately it's up to me if I want to sign a contract or if I don't want to sign a contract, and equally on that, it's up to them or the management or whatever if they want to play me or don't want to play me. So once once the kind of cards were on the table, I knew what was coming. It was just as much as it was hugely disappointing to miss out playing games of football and Scottish Cup and whatever else. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's uh, it was just the circumstances at the time. And we can I see obviously we'll touch on kind of what happens after that, but we can I seek an advice and what your options were. Like obviously you still had a year left, but we can uh, did you did you have an idea of what you were what you were going to do? Like was obviously the, I think where you kind of made history. Yeah, I, yeah, I think obviously I'd 
taking advice from my agent, taking advice from the PFA as well, and just seeing what the options were. I mean, for a simple transfer to a different club would have been the easiest option for everybody yeah. concerned. That, that didn't seem like it was ever going to be possible with the manner in which the ownership of the football club were conducting themselves. So, yeah, I get the fact. I had the disappointment of the tail end of that season. Great for the team, finishing second and winning the Scottish Cup. So, yeah, brilliant for the players and the fans and stuff. Was um, it sore for you to miss out on that, the, the Scottish Cup day? Yeah, I think because as a football, you always kind of harness bits where you go, oh, I might be involved, or I might just get this bit, or I might not. You kind of live for that hope, and it just it was never going to be. Um, so, it was, yeah, it was hugely disappointing. I always remember myself and Callum Elliott not being stripped for that day and just having to kind of deal with that side of it, um, which in football, you get disappointments along the way. That's par for the course, I'm afraid, but that was a sore one to take. And did you have kind of memories of meeting, sitting down with Vladimir to discuss your... Like it was just how bonkers was that experience for him? Do you know one thing? It it was never that way. Never, never, ever did I ever come across Vladimir in a group environment, in a changing room, or on a personal level, in a one-to-one, where I thought this guy—I don't know if the terminology is. I think his actions spoke louder than his words. So when I right. met him on a personal level, never did I have any confrontation. He obviously used an interpreter to, to voice his opinion, but never did we have any debates, never did we have did, never did he challenge anything that I was doing, never did I really challenge him. You know, he was quite he was quite a sort of I don't know how to describe it. You wouldn't you wouldn't have thought he was like a ruthless businessman the way in which he came across um, in the football environment. Yeah. So um one of the biggest one of the, one of the, probably my last meetings with Vladimir was um, obviously I had to go back for this pre-season after we ended up in Monaco on one of the biggest shots you've ever seen. We uh, we stayed in Monaco on a night, travelled down to the harbour the next day, and we're looking at all these massive yachts, and we're like, oh look at that, and look at this, and that. we ended up going on like I think it was the, I'm sure it was at the time something like the third richest guy in the world's yacht, and this thing was ridiculously massive. It was huge. It was like probably, probably the biggest yacht in the port. Do you know, when you go out the harbour, you're like, wow. So we ended up going on it, and I ended up meeting Vladimir on the boat. We had the boat to ourselves. It was huge. Like the, the sort of the dining area was ridiculously big. The lounge area was huge. Like because obviously it's a it's a liner. Do you know it's massive. Yeah. It's probably like a cruise ship than a than a yacht. Um. So after one evening meal. Vladimir through his interpreter said, oh yeah, you know, we're going to speak to people whilst we're here. And obviously I'd made, I'd put my cards on the table basically saying I'd left. I had to wait a period of time to serve my three years before I could leave. So I had to go back for pre-season. Monaco wasn't a bad place to go. Um, so he's like, yes, I will be chatting to people um, whilst we're on the boat. And I was like, oh, here we go. That's going to be me. So sure as fate, knock at the door one night. Vladimir would like to see you. So I went to see him. He was sat with like three other people and they were all speaking Russian. So I said, and it was only me sat at the other side of the table. I says, I understand, like, this is important. I says, but there's four of you sat here speaking all, like, speaking your own language, which is absolutely fine. I says, but I don't think it needs four of you here. So anyway, a couple of them left. I think it was maybe Vladimir and the son Roman. And we just started chatting. And Vladimir's like, you know, and through an interpreter, obviously. You know, in, in football, in Russia, it's really important. Some people disappear. I'm like, disappear? Like, mm. so, <laughs> Swiftly ending the conversation back to the room with Elvis, I was like, Elf, if anybody chaps that door, I'm not in. If you hear a splash <laughs> over the side of the boat, make sure you chuck in a life ring. I was like, mm, a bit strange. And I, I get what he meant, but um, yes, I was, I was like, mm, not great. Crazy, but uh, do you look back? Do you look back in your first spell at Hearts with fondness, or do you look back with the kind of the last year or year of your career with like not regret, but like just what was what was that like? Just what was that experience like? That your time no, at Hearts. My, my abiding memory. Oh, you go. Sorry. No, I was going to say my abiding memory. The first time I loved it, and I get the fact that maybe it didn't end the way. I would have liked to have ended, you know, in an in ideal world, but you don't get ideal. You don't get ideal in life, never mind in football. So 
when people get to spend a long period of time at a football club and they get to go out on their terms, they're probably quite lucky. Um, so for me, as I say, like I loved even the initial period under Craig Levine, I loved it. I talked about Arbroath earlier as well. Like I love my time at Arbroath and I loved that initial period at Hearts where great team spirit, great bunch of boys worked unbelievably hard for each other. And probably the manner in which the club was structured and how it was run probably achieved a greater level of success than maybe what was anticipated or, I don't know, whatever the budget may be or whatever. We probably excelled what people expected. So, nah, I think my abiding memory is absolutely loved it. Um, and just disappointing the manner in which it ended. But that's, say that's part of it. Once, it, once I'd made my mind up, then that was it. Yeah.